I do think cancer is multifactorial, but there is a trigger in the immune system for something. There is a reason. And so I try my best to go back to the beginning of when it started or what could have been a trigger. And exposure to pesticides or strong chemicals is absolutely on my list of things that I'm looking for. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Hello, friend, and thank you for joining us today. Today, we're talking to Dr. Nicole Sheehan, an integrative veterinarian who lives in North Carolina and is totally obsessed with milk thistle and other ways of detoxing a dog's body to assist their liver in supporting their health. Dr. Nicole Sheehan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It is an honor to be here with you. Well, it's an honor to have you here because I saw you on Instagram and it looks like you've got a little following as a singer, not just a veterinarian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. I, you never know what I'm going to get into. I'm that person who has challenged myself to always say yes to opportunity. Hmm. And uh, I have a very good friend who's in a band and, um, I'm actually big into meditation and things like that. And uh-huh. in a meditation, it actually came to me that I was singing on stage with him and I've never been a singer. And You've um, never been a singer? No, I thought it was a metaphor for something. <laughs> and he's just a believer in that. And he said, we're doing it. And so, you know, I find myself on stage singing, thinking, you know, there are people who are so talented and play instruments and sing and have done these things their whole lives and don't have an opportunity to be in a band. And I'm in a band. (laughs) So my thing is you got to say yes. You have to, you know, it's terrifying. It's probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done because, you know, especially in my career, I'm well known for what I do in my career. And so, you know, people kind of hold you on this pedestal sometimes. And so I have to warn them, like, when you come to see me sing, don't think of of me like that. <laughs> so I would never have known that you weren't, you know, singing in the high school choir and, you know, starring in the musicals and that you were just getting back to something you loved. I didn't had no idea. That no. well, congratulations. And thank you. What an inspiration for our listeners because so many of us are, you know, facing dog cancer. And we're in that closed down, shut down place. And I actually think it's the place that you are embracing when you go out on stage and also when you do all of these wonderful things in your own career as a veterinarian, but also an entrepreneur, where you open yourself up and say yes, whatever it is that people need to say yes to, that open-minded attitude is always going to help, don't you think, with anything? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I've learned so much in this career about being open-minded and the majority of my clients are coming to me because they have been given no hope, no good options. Right. And they just want to make sure they're doing everything they can, which I think is fair. I think that's all we all want for our our pets. And we have this responsibility to do right by them. And I think there's also something in people's hearts that just tell them, there has to be more. There has to be something else other than these two awful options. And so what I have learned is, yeah, a lot of times we can do a lot better than those two options. And so when people come see me, I just really try to get them to open up to the idea that it might be better than they think, that maybe it's not limited to just black or white, you know, like you do all of these crazy treatments or you do nothing and wait for them to pass. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that it's opened up my mind in a lot of ways in life about, and I think that happens to my clients too, right? They start seeing the world different when, when you can shift something or when someone tells you it can't be done and you do it Mm -hmm. and you do it over and over again, Mm -hmm. you start thinking, well, maybe I won't listen to everyone who says this is the way the only way to do it, or this other thing can't be done. You never know what can be done. You just have to go for it sometimes. I love it. So I have so many questions for you that don't have to do with the topic at hand, but you came to discuss detoxing pesticides. So I want to talk about that. Yes. (laughs) And then I want to bring you back for lots of other discussions. 
Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so a dog has cancer, and one of your first thoughts is, let's just do a liver detox. Am I accurate about that? Yeah. So I think for me, the way that I view cancer, the way I view all disease is how did this start? Mm -hmm. What happened here? And I do think cancer is multifactorial, Mm -hmm. but there is a trigger in the immune system for something. There is a reason. And so I try my best to go back to the beginning of when it started or, you know, what could have been a trigger for this disease. And again, that's for cancer, but it's for everything. And exposure to pesticides or strong chemicals is absolutely on my list of things that I'm looking for. They can mutate genes. Absolutely. And just one gene has to get mutated in order for this cascade to start. Yeah. And they they cause damage to our tissue mm-hmm. and free radicals in our system. And yeah, they do irreversible damage if you don't assist the body in, in cleaning that out. So that is something that I am have become very passionate about. Okay. So let's talk about that in terms of what a detox actually means from your point of view. Yeah. So I think the thing to remember is that our bodies are designed to detoxify. So we have all of these systems in our bodies that are meant to run across unhealthy substances and get them out of the body. And the problem is, well, I'll tell you something interesting. I Early in my doing integrative medicine, I did a lot of Chinese medicine and I was trying to look, and I'm an herbalist in my heart, so I do a lot of herbs. And I was trying to find herbs to detox the body because I knew fundamentally some of these dogs needed to be detoxed and none of my Chinese herbs would do it for me. And I'm like, this is so interesting. But if you think about it, Chinese medicine is ancient. Like they didn't deal with these chemicals and they weren't exposed to all of this when they were designing, you know, Chinese herbs and medications and remedies. And so I had to look to a different system to try to detox these dogs. And so we're just exposed to a lot of chemicals. We all are. It's in our air. It's in our lawns. It's kind of everywhere. It's in the plastics and it's in our food sometimes. It's certainly in pet foods. So I think our bodies run across more than they're intended to. It's almost like our bodies haven't been able to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of information in people about gene mutations like MTHFR, gene mutations in people where people don't have a strong ability to detox. And I tell you, dogs have the same gene. Uh They haven't found it. I would be so ecstatic if someone, you know, would spend the time to do that. Would find that genetic test to test for MTHFR. Yeah. I'm homogenous for that double mutation. So I am very familiar with how important detoxification is because I I operate at 30%. (laughs) Absolutely. So I believe very strongly that certain breeds, especially, are prone to that. That's interesting. I see over and over again the same breeds needing to be detoxed. Uh huh. What breeds are those? Well, they happen to be the same breeds that are prone to cancer. Oh, isn't that interesting? So my number one that I see it in is the buff golden retrievers. Mm-hmm. For me, I see in my practice the lighter colored ones are more susceptible. Okay. I detox a lot of them. In fact, now for their annual checkups, I just put them on detoxing herbs as a preventative, as part of their daily maintenance. We can talk about that. Yeah. I want to talk about those herbs when we get to that. Yeah. Boxers. Uh Uh-huh. Pit bulls. Sure. Sometimes poodles, but not quite as much. Mm -hmm. Westies I see it in Mm -hmm. quite a lot. But by far, golden retrievers, sometimes labs, but golden retrievers are highest on my list, unfortunately. So how do you know a dog needs a detox program? Yeah, so it's interesting. The way I really came across it was through skin problems. You know, we have an epidemic of itchy dogs. And I was seeing a a lot. I see a lot of what I call sixth opinions. They've been everywhere. And then they're like, nothing's working. But somewhere in their heart, they know somebody's got to have an answer. And so I see these things where everyone's already done all the medicine. And they've done everything well, but nothing's working. And what I found and what I find in all the forms of medicine that I practice is I've got to figure out what are we missing as a veterinary community because all of my vet colleagues have done everything right. And I've been able to find patterns in these dogs that show an accumulation of chemicals. Mm. And a lot of times I will see it on the skin before I see it anywhere else. 
And so the main thing I'm looking for for that is a graying of the skin. Graying? Yeah. So the skin will turn almost a grayish color. Huh. And I know that sounds really strange, but now you will never be able to unsee it when you see it in, in dogs. It's fairly common, actually. And the skin turns almost a gray color instead of like a nice peachy pink like ours. Uh-huh. Often they're itchy in unusual areas. So when we think of allergies for dogs, they'll be itchy on the bottoms of their feet. In this instance, they're itchy in their ankles and their wrists. So they're kind of itchy in different areas. They'll often chew like here. Uh-huh. Right on their wrist, not on their... Right on their wrist. Not on their mm-hmm. paws. Like, yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. And if you look at those areas, often they have that grayish color to them. Okay. And you're talking on the skin or on the fur? On the skin. On the skin. The skin itself. Yeah. Okay. So think about like their skin should look that peachy pink color like ours. Mm-hmm. You know, do you ever hear about like for older people, they'll say they have liver spots on their hands? Yes. And those are big freckles. There's a reason they call those liver spots. So you actually see really large freckles sometimes develop on dogs' bellies. Uh-huh. I have seen instances where the tumors have actually popped up in those freckled areas. Okay. So you could look at it, a freckle, and think, is it like gray? Like you might be able to see that color change yeah. just right there. And usually it's not going to be like one freckle. It's uh-huh. like last year my dog had pink skin, and this year it's covered in freckles. It's almost like black and white, like just covered in freckles. Because usually it's going to accumulate in the skin in a large capacity, like everywhere. This is from my knowledge that sometimes if the liver can't fully detoxify, then the skin is another organ of elimination and it tries to assist, right? It says, I can get things to the outside of the body, just send it through all of my pores and I will do it. And that's when you can get an eczema or acne or other things that may seem like normal skin problems, but could actually be not always, but sometimes as a sign of underlying liver, working too hard, being overburdened, needing help and the skin trying to rescue it. This is what we're talking about with dogs. You are spot on. You are absolutely spot on. Okay. And so when the liver is not doing its job properly... And that means it could either be a weakened liver, Mm -hmm. so what we're talking about, like maybe a gene mutation or some kind of thing that the animal was born with, or, you know, they either have a, what I call a weak liver, or they have run across a higher than normal amount of chemicals. Mm -hmm. And the liver, the healthy liver can't keep up with what it's been, you know, what it's seen. And so the body will start to shoot it out the skin, just trying any way to protect itself, which is really amazing that our bodies are meant to do this. It's incredible. But that is my number one thing I'm looking for. Okay. And so if I see a cancer patient, I'm looking at their skin actually. No matter what kind of cancer it is. No matter what kind of cancer it is. Now there are two cancers that are more linked that there are actually studies on. There's extensive information about lymphoma Mm -hmm. being linked to pesticides in people and dogs. Yes. The first time I had ever run across that, I thought this was fascinating. There was a a study with dogs who lived on golf courses. And so, you know, they're spraying like crazy to keep the grass well. My own uncle had lymphoma and he owned a golf course, you know, it's a thing. And so there's a lot of research about that. I have found a small amount of research about mast cell tumors. Mm-hmm. I have personally found mast cell tumors to be linked to a high burden of chemicals. And so those are my two main ones. Like if I have someone who comes to see me, we have not a lot of cancer within our practice because we have so many preventative strategies for dogs. But the patients that I'm coming to see from other clinics that are coming with lymphoma and mast cell tumor, the very first thing I do is detox them. That is absolutely on my first order of business to do. And then for any other cancer, I'm looking for signs on the skin or in the liver. Maybe there's like these mild liver enzyme increases that mm-hmm. nobody really knows what to do with. Right. They kind of say, well, it's, it's a little elevated, but we won't worry about it or it's not a problem because it hasn't yet gotten to a clinical problem where you're seeing symptoms associated with that. But you're saying that gray skin might be a symptom. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And it's a problem. So if I see any liver elevation whatsoever, I don't poo-poo it. That is already my tip off. Like the body is under distress 
And it's not an emergency, but we need to do something about it. And we probably need to have a preventive strategy for that dog moving forward because it's showing, like maybe we just catch it at a time where it has its annual checkup and we happen to catch this elevated liver enzyme. What about the rest of the year? You know, or maybe we put them on something like denimerin or milk thistle or something to clear up those liver enzymes and then we take them off. Well, what about the rest of the year? So to me, that's a big symptom of maybe this dog needs ongoing preventative strategies to help it detox because it's struggling for whatever reason. Yeah. As a homogenous MTHFR genetic mutation carrier, I can tell you that until I started taking, actually for me, what is working for me is a glutathione, liposomal glutathione that just bypasses all the things that I can't do well Mm -hmm. and gives me the thing that is the ultimate end result of all of those is that highly potent antioxidant. And if I take it and I have all of the cofactors in place, then I feel decently good and I don't feel like I'm overburdened. But there were so many things that happened over the course of my life that cleared up once I started taking glutathione every day, whether I, quote, was symptomatic or not. And so that makes sense to me that some dogs would literally just need that extra liver support throughout the year. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's so beautiful that you understand all of this for your own health because what I see is an accumulation of chemicals. Yeah. So your body can, it's almost like it's this machine, right? And you have, I don't know if you've ever looked at the glutathione cycle, probably. It's very, very complex. It's very complicated. Like you would have to have a PhD yeah. in biochemistry <laughs> yeah. to really understand it. It's And I have studied it like over and over because I'm obsessed with this, understanding it, but it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And the way I think of it is, you know, you've always got that machine running. It's always clearing things out, but we're always running across things as well. Right. And so what I find is that there's an accumulation process. So when an animal gets to the point where they've had a certain accumulation, that's when you see the problem. Right. But it's an accumulation. So you don't want anything in the system. Right. Ideally, a liver will you'll eat something, you'll breathe air, you'll walk through the world, you'll take a swim. And everything that comes into your system, your liver will be able to easily and quickly process, you know, a reasonable length of time, say 24 hours. And then you're ready for the next day. Yes. You know, so many people have fatty liver disease. I think they've had it for a long time, but we're just beginning to identify it. That's a liver that is literally storing things for later. Like, oh, I can't deal with this now. (laughs) Let me put this over here where I won't forget to deal with this toxin that needs to be processed. Yes, absolutely. So how do we detox a dog? Like, what is it that you actually do? Well, I think glutathione is fantastic. Can you give glutathione to a dog? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Like you said, you're bypassing the system. You're getting to the end result of that detox pathway by doing glutathione. I'll be honest with you. I don't use glutathione in dogs because I kind of have my own little detox I do. Sure. But glutathione would be really attainable to most pet parents. Wow. And that's easy. So my go-to would be milk thistle. Uh Uh-huh. Also very attainable. Yes. Right? And so I would say most dog patients would do about 50 milligrams per 10 pounds. Per 10 pounds. A day. Okay. You cannot overdo it. Oh, okay. So you're better to do more than less. It is a really safe herb. So if a dog comes in and I need to actually do a detox, I have kind of a an herbal combination that has six things in it. Um, it's kind of like a proprietary thing, but you really could do it with high doses of milk thistle. And I think glutathione is is also a brilliant way to go about it. Wow. I wouldn't want to try that without finding out from someone like you about the doses and thinking that through, but that is a really of glutathione. Yeah. But yeah, that's really interesting. So, cause it's the same pathways. It's the same processes. Yep. It's the same. They're so similar to us, aren't they? They really are. And a lot of what I learn, I learn through human herbalists and then I try it in dogs and it's amazing. They really are very similar to us in a lot of ways. And sometimes, yes, I I can't get from my own community how to do this. And so I have to go into the, in the human medicine and try to pull from things that people are doing in human medicine for this. That's one health. Yeah. Hopefully we're moving towards that. 
I have a question about fasting because I know that for me, when I am feeling really toxic, I suppose you could say, like my liver needs a rest, the easiest way for me to get that is to actually just give it more time to work Hmm. and to kind of get some of that stuff out by not giving it anything more to do by not eating for a while, like 24 hours. I was thinking about this the other day when I was reading through some of the material that you sent in preparation for this. I wondered if dogs don't sort of give themselves a little fast when they skip a meal, if they're not feeling well. Do you think that's possible that they're sort of like- I do. Yeah. Uh One of the other things I have learned in the last 10 years of my practice is to listen to them. Mm. So the more I do herbal medicine, so I have this thing I do where- I have what I call like my tester kit. And so I have little tiny vials of all of my herbs because if I see a patient who's really toxic or has several problems, I like to get down to the nitty gritty quickly. (laughs) And so, and I don't like to waste my clients' money. I like to pick like the perfect formulas. Mm -hmm. And here I have 350 herbal formulas. So I'm like really into herbs. And so I might pick several and say like whatever that animal feels like they need to do first, they'll choose that herbal formula because it's natural. So I literally just unscrew the tops and have them sniff it and they'll try to eat it out of the bottle. And that's how I know I have a winner. And so in doing that, I have figured out like they know better than I do. So sometimes I just get out of the way and I'll let them choose. And so I think you're exactly right. I have seen where dogs will purposely skip a meal and I'm okay with it. I'm like, they know something. So you don't panic. No, they know something that we don't know. They know how to take care of themselves if we just let them. We do too. We just try to read in books and (laughs) follow, you know, rules on how to like take care of ourselves. But I also think it's a lesson for ourselves. You know, we know our own bodies if you just can get in tune with it and listen to it. So another pitch I hear from you for meditation and for being quiet and for opening up that mind and that heart and doing what feels correct, even if intellectually, maybe I've never sung before, but I'm going to go be in a band now. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Because that's what my soul is telling me I should do. You know, that's my next thing. And so, yeah. And I think it's a beautiful gift to give clients to not stress. Yes. It's like you are doing your dog right by listening to them. We do this for nutrition as well. So I'll have them choose certain ingredients and see what do they want. Because just like we have cravings for foods, they do as well. And they know what they need to kind of correct themselves, to balance themselves. And they'll choose, you know. So, you know, broccoli is one great food for the liver. So I always giggle. Like if I have a dog who's obsessed with broccoli, I'm like, they're looking for liver support. So they they do look for certain foods. They crave them and think about how intense their sense of smell is. Mm-hmm. Like they can smell everything at such a higher degree than we can. And so they know what they need. And I sort of get out of the way and I let them choose for themselves what they think they need to be healthy. So that makes me think about dogs who sometimes go out and eat grass. Mm -hmm. Do you think that has any relation to this? I think some dogs just like to eat grass. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) totally. You know, sometimes they do. If if it makes them throw up, then I kind of worry about that. I always think their nutrition's not quite right. Uh Uh-huh. But some dogs, I think, just like to eat grass. Okay, good. Yeah, Yeah. it can be both and, right? (laughs) Yeah, yep. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, so... What do you do if you really feel like a dog, like it almost needs an intervention right now? Do you ever do like a crazy intravenous kind of thing or do you rely on supplements mostly, given at home over time? For this, mostly supplements. Mm -hmm. You just have to be patient. So my most toxic dogs require 12 weeks of a detox. So my standard detox is six weeks long, but dogs that have been symptomatic for years, they will take. 12 weeks to detox. What do they look like? How do they behave? What changes do you see as they detox? And how do you know when they're done, when they're better? Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm looking at the skin a lot. So a lot of them are itchy Uh and they have these changes in their skin and you'll actually see the color, the gray color come out of their skin. 
to actually see the color restore to their skin. It's really interesting. And, you know, anyone can see that in their dog so they can see that. What's really interesting is a lot of times I'm detoxing them because they're itchy and all the allergy treatments aren't working. And I'm like, well, it's because it's not an allergy or maybe it's an allergy to the chemical. It's not an allergy to pollen. And what's really interesting about it is they don't feel better until every bit is out of their system. And so it will be a very small proportion of dogs that feel better immediately will people say, oh my gosh, they, they just like a fog was lifted, very small proportion, maybe 10% of the dogs that I detox. Most of them, you just got to stick with the program and you just got to plug away. There might be a faster, more aggressive way to go about it, but I just haven't had the need to do it mm-hmm. ever. You know, and sometimes I think aggressive is not always better. Right. So supporting the body, like doing it this way is so supportive. So you're supporting the body as it's going through this struggle. I've just had such great success with that. I haven't needed to be more aggressive. It's more of being patient. And it's funny because I have now several vets that work for me that I teach this method to. And then sometimes they'll be like, oh, it's not getting better. So go see Dr. Sheehan and see what she has. I'm like, no, you are doing the right thing. You just had to keep going. You just didn't have the confidence to just stick with it, stick with it. You're doing so like the other doctors, they're, they're making all the right choices. They were right on. It's just that after it's been going on a while, you think, gosh, did I do or did I miss something? <laughs> and you just have to plug away at it. You just got to get the body back to a good state of health. Okay. So when you say this method, and you mentioned that you have six herbs that you like to use in a little proprietary formula. Is there anything else other than the supplements that you're doing with the dogs? No. Okay. Although I will say naturally we're very big on nutrition here. Uh Uh-huh. Very big. So we're big believers in trying to do minimally processed foods. Uh Uh-huh. So as little kibble as possible. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's a standard for us as well. Mm -hmm. And so I can't, it's not a specific thing I do. I don't do a specific diet or anything to support the liver. I would say for any pet that's under distress, well, it's either in a, just a preventative state where people want to take really good care of them and prevent cancer, or they're in a disease state that they're trying to heal. We'll always improve their nutrition. That's paramount for everything that we do. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're eating good food, then you are by definition not adding insult to injury, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like there's no need to make things worse. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of an obvious thing I didn't really say, but I should say is, yeah, identify where are the chemicals coming from? Like, is this a patient who we think has a weak liver or is this a patient who's had a higher than normal amount of chemicals? So educating the owner on things. I'll tell you, I, I learned something When I was studying essential oils for pets, I don't use them a lot because I'm such an herbalist, but there are times when I use essential oils, but I thought it was really interesting when I was doing training for it, how when you're using essential oils for pets, you can just rub it on their fur and it'll wick down the fur. So you don't even have to put essential oils on their skin. It'll wick down their fur and get into their body through that. And I had this light bulb moment where I thought, that's how the chemicals are getting into their system. That's how it happens. Yeah. I mean, so I have a pit bull mix who his skin turns gray and it's cute. Even my kids will be like, mom, he needs a detox (laughs) because his skin is turning gray and they can see it. And he'll start like chewing on his ankles. He really doesn't have any health problems, but I don't want him to. And as a pit bull, he is going to be prone to mast cells, Mm -hmm. mast cell tumors. And so my preventative- Which are an immune system cancer. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the immune system cancers are more susceptible to pesticides. So we, we have him on a regular detox. He's on a full detox right now. And of course, because everyone sprays their lawns in- you know, April and May. So now it's end of June and he needs a detox. And so what's interesting is we don't spray at all at our house. He and I run in the woods. They're not spraying in the woods where we are on the trail. We walk on the pavement. Like he's not even in anyone's yard and I don't spray and yet he still needs a detox. Yeah. So I think he, you know, again, is this breed who needs more detoxing, but it also is, you know, if you're on a hill and your neighbor sprays, when it rains, all of that trickles down, goes down the hill, and then it grows up in your grass. 
That's right. So we can't control for what everyone else is doing. And then the way that I think about it is, you know, most of our pets, like our dogs, they don't need regular bathing. Some dogs do because it's sitting on their fur and it's just wicking through the fur and getting into their bodies that way. That's really interesting. So a bath. Yeah. A weekly bath. As a detox. Yeah. Okay. Or washing their feet or wiping their feet down after they've been in grass or, you know, the two times a year here where people spray often would be April and October and you will see. And before I knew this about detoxing, you think it's allergies because those are also the pollen seasons for us here. So now I've been able to tell the difference based on where they're itchy and what their skin looks like, whether it's pollen or it's chemical. Okay. So let's just explain that right now. When it's a pollen allergy, you see what? And when it's a liver overburden, you see? So pollen is usually the bottoms of the feet Mm -hmm. or the toes or underneath the feet where the pollen is. It's usually red and irritated and itchy, sometimes ear infections and things like that. The dogs that have an overburden of chemicals are more itchy on their ankles and their wrists and also in their flanks, which the flank is kind of like this area, Uh you know, it's just a random on their flank. Yeah. And so that absolutely is the pattern. And then a graying color to the skin or less frequently, lots and lots of freckles. But usually you're going to have more of a light gray color coming through on the skin. That's fascinating. This is a good spot to take a break and listen to our sponsors, and then we'll be back in a minute with Dr. Nicole Sheehan. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next and the next and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damian Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, 
you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. And we're back with Dr. Nicole Sheehan. So... What are your suggestions for actually avoiding all of these toxic exposures? Yeah, so <laughs> think twice <laughs> about treating your yards. Think about what is more important to you, the grass or your, you know, your pet's health. Um you've got to make a decision about the chemicals that you're directly exposing your pets to during those seasons where you know, and I ha- like I had someone yesterday who said my husband loves his grass. <laughs> mhm. Okay. Well, she just knows this. So what I have learned over the years is I don't tell anyone to do anything they don't want to do. It's pointless. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. and never does. So I don't judge her. I don't make her feel bad. Right. I'm certainly not going to make her husband feel bad. This is her reality. So what I have to do is I have to support this dog. And so she knows this. And so I just tell her and she's a great client. Okay. Well, we're going to do regular detox on your dog. And she's fine with it. You know, she loves it. And so you've got to make, you know, choices one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing is just being careful about what's being sprayed inside the home. I don't tend to see a problem with like cleaning sprays and things like that. That does not seem to be an issue. Where I see an issue is when people have redone their flooring. Ah, that's a trigger. There's lots of chemicals in flooring for some reason. And that can be carpet or laminate yep. or any kind of any kind of surface is going to have those chemicals, really. Yes. So for some reason, if you have been in a situation where you've just redone your flooring and your animals are itchy, that's a thing. So I might detox them. They're spending a lot of time on it. Yeah, absolutely. And they're right down in it, right? More so than we are. For sure. Also, the other way we see it is with flea and tick prevention. Mm. So many of the substances that work as flea and tick preventatives for dogs will also do this if they are sensitive to it. Because they are pesticides in the end. They're pesticides. Yeah. Right. So here we kind of practice safe use of those because fleas and ticks are no joke either, especially ticks. I see a lot of hidden tick illness in my second opinion. So it's also equally destructive, the things that they pass on. So you've got to be smart about it. And the biggest symptom we see for pets that are sensitive is that they'll get itchy after they take that. So they'll take a flea and tick preventative and then they'll be itchy for several days after and they'll be itchy in those spots that I'm talking about. And so those are the dogs where we think it's not great for them to have that. Depending on how sensitive they are, we might have to pull those out of their regimen and find other ways to try to prevent those things. And so that's another big, big area. And it's funny because we were noticing it with the flea and tick preventatives, and now it's actually on the label that may cause itchiness. Uh-huh. I don't say may cause liver problems, but like <laughs> may cause itchiness, itchy skin. But that's really why, because it's technically a pesticide. So so would you tend to use those, but then do a, a detox to 
help the dog shed it more often or quicker? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So if it's a patient who really needs to stay on that, then they may also stay on milk thistle year round. All right. So it's not about saying, because you're not anti-conventional treatments, you're just like recognizing the reality of what they can bring to the table. Yes. Thank you. That's exactly right. So I think because I'm a holistic vet, people think that I'm really anti those things. Well, you know, what I say is the magic is in the middle. Like if we do nothing, we're going to have problems that way. And if we do too much or we're not conscious of what can happen when you do too much, we're also going to cause trouble. So how do we find that middle zone where we're protecting them, but we're also being conscious about it or being aware of what else we might have to do, you know, to take really excellent care of them? Yeah. If people could only do one thing, they stop listening to this episode. What's the one thing they could do today that would help their dogs detox if they think that's a necessary thing? Go to the health food store and pick up milk thistle, get it every day. Okay. It's really that impactful. Okay. And that 50 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight. Yep. Daily. You can do it all at one time. You can split it. They can be off of it. So the way, again, you're thinking about it as an accumulation process. So what I tell people is like, if you're going to travel for the weekend, you don't have to take it with you. Like, okay, it's not like aspirin where you take it and it works for 12 hours, right? It should be just a daily part of their regimen to constantly be detoxing them. So they can go without it. Or if you ran out of it, don't run to the health food store tomorrow, right? Okay. You could go next week and it'll be fine. But the more they're on it, the more they're going to stay clean, you know, in their bodies. So make it a part of their daily regimen. And it's like uh, any other thing that's going on, it's not an emergency. You don't think of it as like their liver's going to die if I don't give them the milk thistle. It's just an extra support. Exactly. For that yeah. liver. So I take it every day. Uh huh. And one of my dogs does, who's really sensitive. The two of us take it every day because I also have trouble with that. Okay. Isn't it interesting how we so often like get really knowledgeable about the things we have trouble with ourselves? <laughs> Absolutely. Or our pets. Yeah. You know, we learn so much. I've learned so much from my own pets because you just know them so well. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm free to kind of experiment on my own animals, uh-huh. you know, in safe ways. When we're using herbs, it's so safe. But then I don't, you know, I feel like that's a good way for me to try things and then learn from my patients. Right. You can fully consent and you understand all of the things and you don't have to educate. Exactly. So what's your favorite cancer treatment story about detox or any other? What's your favorite story about cancer treatment? So one of my favorites was a dog named Gump and (laughs) he's a chocolate lab. Oh, yes. And I first met him... Maybe six years ago, about four years into owning my own integrative practice, so I was really free to just do all the things that I thought were beneficial. And this really sweet couple came in and the dog had a bleeding tumor of the spleen Mm. and was recommended for surgery. And he came in on a stretcher Mm -hmm. and they said, you know, we don't think he's going to make it through surgery. Mm. But if you could give us one more weekend with him, we would be so grateful. And they were so grounded and beautiful and and they were hopeful that I could just give him a little bit more time. And we did. And we kept giving him time, you know, so within a few days he was walking again. And did he have the surgery? No. Never had the surgery. Oh, he didn't have the surgery. What? Never had the surgery. Went I've to never heard this story before. His <laughs> liver. So we have several of these patients and went, you know, on to his liver and all these things. But this dog lived three years. Wow. He would come in and like hurt his leg playing, you know, and we would just <laughs> laugh. We're like gump. Basically hurt his knee because he was out playing ball. With his cancer and his spleen and his liver. (laughs) Yeah. And so he was really memorable to me because that was probably the first time that it had ever happened. And it's one of the instances in which I learned it's not always the end. It's not. Right. And one of the other things I've learned since then is that when I have a client who comes in and they can't stop crying... 
I have come to the point where I'm so honest because what they're there for is my advice. Cause they'll say, I, you know, they said that my dog only has three months to live and they just can't stop crying about it. And it's like, I know in their mind, they have this number stuck in their head. That's right. And I just tell them, if you can't stop thinking about that and you have all this energy going to it with the tears and the sadness and the, the loss of hope, I promise you, your pet will be gone in three months. And what I've noticed over the years, the people like Gump's people who come in and they're like, if you could get me one last trip to the beach, I'd be so grateful. Anything you can get us, we know is a blessing. And they come at it with just, uh, we'll take what we can get. And they're hopeful. And those animals live longer. And it is profound how much our energy (laughs) goes into the healing process. So I see people who you know, let's say they did an amputation because there was cancer there. Then I just say, okay, the cancer has gone. Just, you've got to think about it. It's gone. Now what we're doing is we're just preventing it in the rest of the body. You've got to just think of it different. I love that. And the way that they put their thoughts onto their dog Mm -hmm. literally makes a difference for their survival times. It's fascinating. I've been involved with helping people whose dogs have cancer since 2007 as a layperson and a science writer and uh, editing Dr. Dressler's book. I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people over the years. And that is the number one takeaway that I have from this whole experience. From the beginning, the reason he even wanted to write the book was because he said, people don't get it, that they do have options, but they need to rein in all of the fear and we need to manage that so that we can pay attention to what's actually going on and make choices. And people who do that have tremendous outcomes, even if it's a short time to the human brain. Yes. The quality of time is so wonderful. It's not filled with fear and sadness. But there's so many stories I have of dogs that have lived years past their prognosis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so impactful. And all the medicine is great, but it's like, there's so much more that people have power over that they don't realize, right? They don't realize and they can focus on their dog and get there. Yeah. I have another really impactful story I wanted to share with you that I think is like the other huge thing that I've learned. And this was not successful in terms of the cancer, but it taught me so much. And this goes back to listening to the animals. So I had this dog who came to me for sixth opinion and had lymphoma and was going to the oncologist, had already gone through the main lymphoma protocol. It stopped working. They went to the rescue protocol. It stopped working. They went to the last option and it stopped working. So this dog has already been through every drug on the planet by the best doctors you could have, right? Right. And so they're coming to me just wondering if I could do something. So lymphoma is one of my difficult ones. If I catch lymphoma super early, sometimes I can reverse it. I have to catch it really early. It's a hard one. And so it's the one I've struggled with probably the most doing naturally. And so I just was honest with these people. I said, you know, your dog is already resistant to so many things. Like I literally cannot tell you that I'm going to be able to really make a difference here. Mm -hmm. But what's crazy is this dog was terrified. It was one of those dogs that's afraid of people in general, super introvert dog. And she spent her time on the other side of the room, just looking at me like an old soul of a dog, right? Mm -hmm. She's watching me and watching me. And I didn't come in her space because I didn't need to. And we're doing a lot of talking. And I had just hit up my human herbalist friends where I said, you know, I'm missing something with my lymphoma protocols. I'm missing something. And I don't know what it is. So when you think of lymphoma, what do you think of? And they tipped me off to something I might be missing. And it was funny. So I said to these people, I'm not going to make you feel like I can reverse this. But they wanted to do everything. So I said, I'll give her my lymphoma protocol. And I shared with them. I said, I think I've been missing something that I want to try on your dog. It won't hurt her. It's all herbal, whatever. But I want to try this. And it was really interesting. So I had this stack of herbs. That's my typical lymphoma protocol. And I had it sitting there. And then... I brought this other one over. My assistant brought it in and she handed it to me and the dog moved across the room and sat on my foot. (laughs) The dog was like, bingo, that's what I need. Yes. (laughs) 
I mean, oh my gosh. Yes. And I looked at my assistant and she said, Did that just happen? And I said, Yeah. And that is now my protocol where I have actually been able to be more impactful. But that dog wanted nothing to do with me, heard every word I was saying, somehow understood this, came and sat on my foot and looked up at me. So we have to listen to them. They know so much. We have to listen to them. Don't you think they understand us even if they don't speak English? Absolutely. Well, how does she, she, she felt me. She was looking at me. She's watching me the whole time. They understand things that we, we just can't even fathom. And so, you know, again, it's a way to take the fear out of the process, right? We know more than we think. They know more than we think. (laughs) So do the best you can. You know, that's what we're here for. Let your dogs be the guide. Yeah. Oh, this has been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you, listener. I don't think there's much for me to say to wrap up this show. Dr. Nicole obviously has a very deep passion for dogs and uses her intuition and her deep listening skills to let the dogs in her practice guide her. And I think that might just be a cue for all of us dog lovers to go ahead and follow suit. I'm going to take my little dog, Chloe, for a walk and listen deeply to her and see how the day goes. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join us on the socials. Sign up for Dog Cancer News at dogcancernews.com. And of course, visit us on dogcancer.com for this and many other podcast episodes, articles, and many other resources from our whole team of veterinarians and science writers and science communicators who are here for you with your dog with cancer. From all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm Molly Jacobson, wishing you and your dog a warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcancer.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network.